0: Welcome back to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. I can't believe it's been one year since I launched Illuminate, and I want to thank you, yes, you, for listening each month. If you'd like to show your support for the show, I'd really appreciate if you could leave me a rating or a review, and I'd love if you could click subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast app. You may have noticed the show has been on pause the last few months. I'd been waiting for the COVID vaccine, and I'm thrilled to share that my guests and I were fully vaccinated before recording this interview together. I'm so incredibly grateful to the scientists and healthcare workers who helped develop this modern miracle. As we embark on Season 2 of Illuminate, this was the first time I was able to fly to an interview. Since recording this conversation last month, we unfortunately learned that the AEO had to cancel the in-person meeting in Boston this year due to COVID restrictions. While I'm sure it will be a great virtual event, I simply can't wait to see all of you again in person. The value of an
1: orthodontist is not in the tool we use. It's in knowing where the teeth should go. And what that really boils down to is diagnosis and treatment planning.
0: I'm Dr. Chris Setta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Alfred Griffin. Today, I would like to introduce you to an orthodontist who's at the forefront of the digital revolution in orthodontics. His company, Lightforce, has introduced the first 3D-printed, fully customized orthodontic bracket system. On today's show, I shine a light on Dr. Alfred Griffin III. Well, welcome to the podcast, Alfred. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Chris. Excellent. Why don't you tell everyone where we're at today? (laughs) We are
1: at Light Force's future headquarters, starting April fifteenth. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You're probably the first orthodontist in this new place.
0: I feel so lucky to get a sneak peek. If anything, I feel like Alfred the Butler is showing me the back cave right now. So o-
1: only you're serving me drinks, Chris. So
0: yeah, I'm just <laughs> disappointed I didn't get to slide down a metal pole uh, to get well, here. But we're, we're not finished construction yet. So I believe this is the first time we met in person.
1: I don't know if you remember, we actually did meet. Um, we met? We met, we met. It was in uh, California. It was the Mother of Pearls. You were a rock star, literally, playing in Relapse, and I was in the audience, so you just don't remember me. Oh, but we didn't
0: officially meet. You just um, maybe saw me I saw in my you. blonde wig. Yeah, I saw you in your blonde wig from the crowd. Um, yeah, I was... Um, yeah. So, to clarify, do you like to go by Alfred, Al, Fred, Trey, Trip, AG3? Uh,
1: well, it depends on who you talk to, so... Um, So my dad is Al. A lot of people call me AG3. John Pham calls me AG3. Does
0: he now? Yeah. Okay. I thought I made that up. I thought he innovated it.
1: No, it's Alfred. Generally Alfred. Generally Alfred. Generally Alfred.
0: So it's about 60 degrees here in Boston. And I think it's an incredible preview here for the AAO.
1: Boston is for about six months of the year, you don't want to be outside. So um, (laughs) well-timed by the AAO to do it in June.
0: Yeah, for sure. I believe you're speaking there. Is that right? I am. I'm very excited to speak. It's my first time speaking at the So, Me too. To me, this is like the biggest stage and I'm probably going to be shaking actually just giving my talk at the AAO. Well,
1: I'm a bit intimidated as well. I mean, I've been going to the AAO since I was like six years old. I mean, no way. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad's an orthodontist. My mom's a general dentist. And AAOs turn into your tax exempt vacation. And so that's the when we went on a family vacation, it was wherever the AAO was or, right. or the angle meeting or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. so. so, where was your first one? Oh, it was Bermuda.
0: Yeah. They had an AAO in Bermuda. They had an
1: AAO in Bermuda and wow. they okay. had a great arcade there. It's a good spot. My brother's a year and a half younger than me. We just. We had the time of our lives. So, Alfred, what are we
0: drinking today? We are drinking a Manhattan, probably one of the best Manhattans I've ever had. So we both have to cheers Michael Bonas, uh, director of sales for Lightforce, off camera here, who has a fantastic recipe, I have to say, here for Manhattan. I'm going to give it because he shared it. But not two to one, three to one, two and a half to one of whiskey, of course, rye, Got to have Dolan vermouth, Luxardo cherries, and a couple dashes of Angostura bitters, and boom, that's a great Manhattan. And this is on the rocks. I typically go up with it, but Alfred, what do you think?
1: You can't have artificial cherries in your Manhattan. That just, it's not real. Got
0: to get Luxardo. If you learn anything from this podcast, please go buy Luxardo cherries. (laughs) Anyway, I want to dive more into your background. You mentioned already that your father was an orthodontist. So tell me, what was it like growing up a son of an orthodontist in Northern Virginia?
1: My mom was a dentist as well and they met in dental school. So your dinner table conversation is teeth and patients. And we grew up in a small town, about 20,000 people. And so one of the things I love the most about being an orthodontist and dentist is that you become part
0: of the community that you're in. And -hmm. so you get to know everybody. Like you go to the grocery store and everyone knows who you are. So did you always want to be a dentist or in the dental field, or did you ever consider an alternate career?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was dead set on medicine until I interned with some surgeons and realized how great dentists actually have it. We get to actually be a doctor and do what we always think is best for the patient. That's actually something we talk about all the time at Life Forces. Every decision we make passes through the lens of, is this the best thing for the patient? And mm-hmm. we still get to do that in dentistry. And sometimes in medicine, you're more subservient to what the insurance company will reimburse.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think you probably have heard me mention that my father was an ophthalmologist, and it was brutal with, you know, insurance companies and the capitated rates for the plans. And so at the time, dentistry wasn't really feeling those effects. So he was like, go into dentistry, much better, you know, lifestyle. If you love
1: helping people and you love working with your hands, you're going into surgery or dentistry. And I saw the best value and the most rewarding career path in dentistry and
0: really in orthodontics. So I know your father actually was an educator, right? He was a teacher at Georgetown you, as well? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You must have done your research. I have. Yeah. So I, he, I know your whole life. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So he taught at Georgetown before Georgetown actually shut down. Then he worked at the Children's Hospital, helping the cleft palate patients, and he did that for about eight years. Then focused on leadership. He was president of the Virginia Orthodontic Association. He was in the Angle Society with Tim Wheeler, who is our director of research now, which is oh, very exciting. Oh, very
0: cool. Yep. He was the program director at Florida, right? He was, yeah, okay. exactly. yeah,
1: Awesome guy. One of the pioneers of, of research around aligners, really one of the first mm-hmm. to establish the efficacy there. So, And then, actually, I started residency up here in Boston, and After the first year, we recognized the need that we needed more clinical faculty. And being in Boston, I didn't get to see my family as much. I was like, you know, Dad, you should really fly up here once a month and teach. And so he did that. After my second year, he came up and started teaching here one Wednesday a month, which was really cool for me.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. So I want to back up a little bit. So. I never realized that your mom was a dentist. Oh yeah,
1: she was one of the first dentists in her. There were like there was a class of 110 or so, and she was one of like two or three dentists in her class.
0: I mean, that's so incredible. Isn't yeah. It? And so was she practicing full time? And did you guys have childcare? Or great question. Yeah. So she practiced three days a week, and she got to be
1: mom and she got to be a dentist, and that's not always an option with a lot of professions these days if you go into work in the corporate world you're working five days a week or you're not working Mm -hmm. or you're in the gig industry and that has some risks involved as well but dentistry is an awesome profession for women
0: so how do you think your mom influenced you obviously she was a very strong woman versus how maybe your father had an influence on you as a future orthodontist wow great
1: loaded question. What they both have in common is always putting patients first. My mom came from a small town. My dad came from a suburb of DC. And so one of the things that she really instilled in me was that if you keep doing the right thing for the patient, it's always going to serve you best in the long term. And she's been a practicing dentist there for now for 30 years.
0: What a wonderful thing.
1: Yeah, I think it's true because now we're an orthodontic company and we're serving really what is a very small Specialty of orthodontics. There are only ten thousand orthodontists in North America, and if something goes wrong with one customer, people are going to find out about it. We have Facebook groups now that are, you know, one thing goes wrong, it goes viral. That's true, uh, especially in orthodontics, and so uh, that's really ingrained at at Lightforce. Is we are very customer obsessed. That's our our theme for two thousand twenty
0: one. I love it. So tell me, I know you went to your undergrad at UVA. Yes, and I'm a demon deacon. What was it like? being there in a- Charlottesville, right? Charlottesville, it, it was wonderful, especially now being the best basketball
1: school in the ACC. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: There you go. So from there, I know you went to MUSC, right? Yes. And yeah. that's where you did your combined DMD-PhD yes. program. Are you a glutton for like academic punishment? I am, or? A, I am a glutton for punishment.
1: It was my way of being different. So okay. mom's a dentist, dad's an orthodontist.
0: Yeah. And uh,
1: how do I become different? Well, I love science. I was a biochem major at UVA, and I wanted to go and try to do both. And I only applied to DMD PhD programs, and I was thinking to myself, you know, um, I was looking at some, some programs in the North, in the Boston area, in the Michigan area, and if I'm going to do something as terrifying as a PhD, I need to be in a fun city like Charleston. And So yeah. that's really what was the decision maker. So what
0: was it like living in Charleston?
1: It was awesome. Charleston, have you ever been there? I have. You have? Yeah. So it's a blast. King Street, I lived right downtown. We should all go to Charleston. We should all go to Charleston. There should be an AO in Charleston. There should be an AO in Charleston. Right? You know, it's, it's such a cool city. There was an angle meeting in Charleston one time, and what my only there? regret is that they didn't have the after party at TRIO. Oh, that's the spot, huh? That is the spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great town. Either they're on vacation there or they're in the tourism business. And it's a young city. It's a fun city. It's by the ocean. It's just, it's got just great vibes. So no. you
0: were there for seven years, well, right? Yes, seven
1: years, which is actually a short period of time. I, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, so in, it's, ortho-academia world, in it's ortho academia world, it's like oh, just seven years, right? Honestly, I lucked out with a lot of the the research there. I probably should have been there eight or nine years, mm-hmm. and and got really lucky with some skeletal research. And that was actually what they called me when I got up here at Harvard for resident. They called me the bone guy. Because that was—is uh, that right? Probably why they let me in up here.
0: What was your like PhD? Is it a thesis
1: or? Yeah, it was in skeletal biology, and okay. we were really studying the underpinnings for inflammation and how bones respond to inflammation. And my whole idea okay. was like, all right, I'm going to go into orthodontics, and we're going to figure out a way to move teeth faster. And that was the idea, and that's what happened. I got up here at, to Boston and worked in an incredible lab. Guys discovered the gene for cherubism. Brilliant guy, no way, Bjorn Olson, and. We had this whole NIH grant that was studying a recombinant version of VEGF, which is a protein that turns on vasculature, the idea being that we can increase osteoclastogenesis in local areas and and ideally move teeth faster Mm -hmm. in a mouse model. Mm -hmm. And... What I realized very quickly is that uh, NIH, which is the primary funding agency for research, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't perceive orthodontics as a public source of morbidity, in the same way that they do periodontology or endodontics, hmm. and so the lab does not get funding for this. And so, you know, 24 pages of intense grant writing later, realized that I needed to pivot in my in my life, and, hmm. and so that's combined with probably the worst snowstorm to ever hit Boston was was how Light Force was born. So what brought you to Boston? What brought me to Boston? Um, was it Harvard? I mean, it was. It seemed it, like you had a
0: drawing, like yeah, something yeah. in your core brought you to, up to Massachusetts.
1: What brought me up to Boston and, and Harvard specifically was the research. That was my world. That's what I was passionate about. I, I really enjoyed basic science research. And, and there are so, only so many uh, residencies where you can tap into world-class labs that really care about cell signaling. And that's what Harvard had in the dental school is, you know, world-class skeletal biologists which is really what I cared about. Obviously, we've pivoted quite a bit. The other thing that I loved about Boston is just the city. I mean, you've got so much technology up here. You've got so many people that are just on the cutting edge of so many different industries, software development. It's like if you look at the world, the hub for 3D software engineering is Boston. Mm. There are more 3D printing companies here. There are more CAD software companies Onshape, MathLabs, PTC. It's the global hub for this type of software engineering. I always wanted to explore what we could do in orthodontics with digital manufacturing, mass customization, and there's no better place in the world to do that than Boston. Which is
0: fantastic. So you did your, was it two year or three year program at Harvard? It was a three year, it was a three year. I have a few buddies
1: that I interviewed with at two year programs that remind
0: me how much extra that costs, (laughs) so. And your father ultimately came up here and was teaching part-time faculty. Yeah,
1: yeah, part-time. And and I teach there part-time now too.
0: Which is fantastic. Wow. I love it. Harvard faculty. It's a lot of fun. I I love teaching. And that's
1: the easiest place to teach because they're right down the street. I really enjoy biomechanics. I think that uh, a lot of technology is going to change how orthodontists think about biomechanics. And so I love coaching residents on how to distill and interpret technology from marketing. And that was something that I always watched when I would go to AOS. I, I was that pest at the booths of um, different companies where, you know, the, the marketing claims got out ahead of the skis a little bit. And that's something that we really care about here is not overselling what we have. And I think sometimes that happens because ultimately an orthodontist is, is only as good as they are at diagnosing and treatment planning. It's, the tool they use is not what's driving the treatment.
0: Ultimately, you decided to stay here in Boston. So did your dad want you to join his practice? I mean, was it disappointing for them for you not to come back to Virginia? Because, you know, it's like a generational practice, right?
1: Oh, yeah. So my grandfather was a pediatric dentist in the same general area. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He went to West Point and he went to dental school when he was like 34, third generation dentist. So loaded question. If I'm being honest, that was one of my goals in life was to go back and practice with my dad. Yeah, My dad's my best friend. I would love to go back and practice with him and work with him. And and that was actually probably one of the big reasons why he came up to Boston and started teaching at Harvard. It was a way for us to work together. One of the things I'm most proud of is that my dad is actually a key part of Lightforce. He's an employee. If you submit a case to Lightforce today, there's a 15% chance that my dad saw the case. In what capacity? Well, quality is the most important thing in, in any company. And we talk about that nonstop. We're obsessed with quality life force. And so we have an incredible team of people in Costa Rica, 60 people in Costa Rica, uh, 15 in Ukraine, in Kiev. But we still today have an orthodontist look at every case that goes out as a final quality check to make sure that there's nothing missing, nothing that was overdone. The, The treatment plan generally makes sense. Uh, the light plan. We have a lot of very passionate orthodontists who are excellent in their field. So, yeah. so guys like my dad, guys like Tim Wheeler. There are so many orthodontists that are involved in Light Force. What it really is is that they are so passionate about what Light Force represents and what it's going to do to the specialty, what the yeah. future that they believe in, which yeah. is mass customization. So, you're in Boston, in Harvard. Where did this idea come from? You're a resident? The best thing I've done is bring smart people together and say, look, we need to s- execute on this application. And we've had examples like Insignia. Craig Andrejko had this idea before I even was in dental school. Mm-hmm. David Sarver, working on, on Insignia as well. Right. The challenge is they were limited by the technology at the time. Interesting. And so we had injection molding. Injection molding meant that we're taking a stock bracket and we're re-welding it a custom angulation. That was the first example of customization in fixed appliances. Hmm. It's not full customization. The bracket pad is still a stock pad. It's not going to fit ideally. You've got to put it on the middle of the tooth. But it's it's better than what we have. Right. It doesn't scale well, so the economics are tough. It costs a lot. And then we had SureSmile. Sure, right. smell. You know, w- was customizing the wire, and again, brilliant orthodontists involved in those technologies. I, I, you will never hear me say anything negative about any of those technologies because they were so ahead of their time. But they're limited by the technology of the day, and so there are uh, limitations in customizing the wire as well, where you may be you know scanning and then round tripping, mm-hmm. or you have to wait f- for a robot to bend a wire. We just weren't at a point in technology in general where we could three D print and scale and make it make economic sense a clinically effective bracket okay and so that was what <laughs> 2015 all this started and i call 2015 2017 our failure years you learn more from failure than you do from uh, success absolutely absolutely right? so We tried a lot of different things. We always believed that 3D printing and mass customization was the future of the profession. Yeah. But there weren't technologies that would enable what we deemed a clinically efficacious bracket. And so we learned a lot. I would say those are the best
0: years because we learned more in those two years than we did in the last three. So let's talk about one of your early co-founders was Lou Schumann. Yes. So who was he... You know, I understand he was an orthodontist. I understand he was an entrepreneur, investor, and you were part of an incubator program. But he obviously had a very key involvement to the birth of Lightforce, right? Totally.
1: So before I met Lou, I failed many times at fundraising. And they basically said, look, you know orthodontics, you don't know business. Interesting. And a lot of them said, look, you need to find a co-founder who has been there and done that. And I was a bit conflicted because a lot of the people I met here in Boston, I just didn't have that level of trust. And trust is super important to me. That's right. and, and everyone here at LifeForce knows that. And when I met Lou, I mean, A, he got the idea in two seconds. He's like, oh my gosh, I've been after this my whole life. Like Lou is an orthodontist. He trained under Dr. Gianelli here at BU. A he, legend. A legend, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then he went on to become the VP of clinical education and global strategy at Invisalign from 2002 to 2009. So he was involved in the first company that pioneered mass customization.
0: This is Lou Schumann, not to be confused with the Schulman Group or Bud Schulman, right? (laughs) Totally different Schumann, yeah. Different Schumann. What we should specify here. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. this is is Lou Schumann, yeah. And so he did a
1: lot of things. He was a co-founder for a reason. He was the person that that I would call when we thought this was all going to go up in flames. He was the person that I called when an investor didn't see the value in what we were doing. Yeah. He's the guy who said, you know, at those critical times when we had our doubts and as an entrepreneur, you're going to have those doubts. A million different times where we would think like, all right, this is going to fail. Lou's a confident guy. He's a passionate guy. He believed in this and he was a great mentor to me and he still is.
0: Which is fantastic because I don't know if you know much about the history of my precision aligner buttons, but I had a senior doctor who brought me confidence in bringing my product to market and saw my vision, Dr. Rich K. If it wasn't for him, I probably just would have just been talking about this idea and never made it happen. And it sounds like yeah. if it weren't for Dr. Schumann, maybe that idea really wouldn't have gotten off the ground. Everyone needs a mentor. Everyone needs a coach. Yeah, And,
1: and, and you're not born with this knowledge and the skill set. So you, you sharpen your axe with great people and that's how you get better. And what was really important to me is that Dr. Schumann, Lou, is a orthodontist. And so what was yeah. critical to me is that, you know, this is a company by orthodontists for orthodontists. You know, we had opportunities to license the patent to companies that did not value what orthodontists do. And I can tell you point blank, my dad would have just stoned me if, if, you know, we did some of those deals that probably would have paid my student loans and some. But Lou was a guy who said, look, there's a bigger opportunity here. There's bigger value to the orthodontic community and in the wrong hands and the wrong intentions, this could go a different direction. What I really value is that that we are bringing this to orthodontists.
0: That's one of my I think essence of having this podcast. Right? Is innovation by orthodontists because you know mostly innovation was coming from the corporations, right? Mm-hmm. Not from orthodontists. That's what happens today.
1: Is an orthodontist has a brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. And we're not sure how to make it happen. And our goal, in general, is to help people and elevate the profession. Right. We take it to a company, and the idea either gets squashed because it's going to conflict with the product they already have, or uh, it may not get the attention it deserves, or in the best case, that there's a royalty. But it's a fraction of the value that is really created there. Or
0: sometimes it's a great idea, but it just doesn't generate enough money For them to develop it but it's a great idea that actually helps patients right yeah exactly yeah and that's what i love about the
1: orthodontic profession is that every orthodontist i've met they're at the top of the class they're there for a reason they they are creative they're intelligent and they're always trying to elevate themselves elevate their brand elevate their practice and their profession sometimes it does but it doesn't always align with the motivations of big companies
0: that's true Yeah. yeah But I love that the core values of LightForward. So really, it's like for orthodontists, by orthodontists. I love the collaboration between yourself, Brandon Owen, John Pham, Adam Shuloff, right? Oh, absolutely. I am a big
1: fan of all those people that are pushing the industry forward and and trying to, you know, build companies versus working for companies. It's a different beast. It's a different level of risk. And it's a different level of commitment that being honest, if you know what you're getting into, is not always the best idea. I want those guys to win. I talk to them frequently and the level of collegiality that we have is, I think, wouldn't be expected by a lot of people in different professions. To me, it's inspiring,
0: you know, just the level of collaboration, because innovation in my mind is about collaboration. Yeah. Right. Creativity is about collaboration. Exactly. Exactly. It's John Fam and
1: I had a call the other day. He said, all right, you can have the front of the teeth. We want the back of the teeth. I'm like, all right, great deal. How can we make each other better? the level of openness and candor
0: that we have is very refreshing and uh, yeah. proud of those guys when we come back in just a moment we discuss light forces adoption during the pandemic their growing pains and keeping up with demand and some cool new features on the horizon stay with us you're listening to the illuminate orthodontic podcast Kind support for this podcast comes from Dentographics. Why settle for ordinary? Dentographics developed the first clear plastic retainers decorated with fun patterns and licensed team logos. The Dentographics material can easily be integrated into any orthodontic office as the plastic sheets are compatible with your existing thermoforming machine. Dentographics is a positive way to differentiate your practice while helping to improve patient compliance and reduce the number of lost retainers. Ordinary is over. Head over to Dentographics, spelled G-R-A-F-I-X dot com. Support also comes from HIP Creative. Ready to turn prospects into patients for good? Well, check out HIP Creative. Attracting new patients requires not just a plan, but implementation. HIP realized this and developed a program to integrate team training, transparency, and accountability into your individual practice. These proven strategies put you back in control of finding and keeping the right patients. While organically growing your practice for long term success. To find out more, visit hip.agency. Welcome back to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm Dr. Chris Setta. Ever wonder what it's like starting your own company in the middle of your orthodontic residency?
1: Yeah. If you ask my co-residents, that meant that there were a lot of calls in the hallway. <laughs> so it's funny when when I uh, graduated, one of my co-residents, Stephanie Finn, who practices in Philadelphia, she made a PowerPoint and it was you know, joking on all of us, but it had for me, it had my backpack in clinic with gloves on and a mirror and explore and said that my backpack was in clinic more than I was, um, which is not true. But yeah, in clinic, it meant that I had to take some phone calls instead of assisting. And it meant that you know, I had to be very efficient in clinic. And it also meant that my free time had to be spent on building the company and speaking with lawyers and speaking with people around technology recruiting people talking to investors and a lot of that time was spent at the harvard innovation lab i took some classes at harvard business school which was pretty eye-opening
0: and then i had a mass challenge which is, was the next incubator that we were at i mean that's a pretty big jump right going from orthodontist to actual ceo of a company
1: yeah, it involved a, uh, reading a lot of how-to for dummy books, Chris. Uh, and so I like those too. Actually. Yeah.
0: So no, no,
1: it, it really was about showing people what the best application of three D printing was. And mm. I'm a big believer in in three D printing in technology. And my background in grad school was in skeletal biology. And, and what I realized quickly is that you know the best application of three D printing is not in orthopedics. Mm. Reality is you know bones are vascular they're cellular they're osteoclast and blast and and it's living tissue if you're three to four millimeters off on a femur implant for example it's going to remodel and fit fine whereas enamel as we all know is acellular inorganic, mm-hmm. and, and if you're even a millimeter off, you're going to feel that on the occlusion. So mm-hmm. there's a higher value to customization and orthodontics than any other field of medicine, in my opinion. <laughs> and the proof is in the economics. So many people don't realize this, but the entire 3D printing industry has a market cap of $14 billion. $14 billion with a B. 14 billion with a B. But let, wow. me, let me even blow your mind further. Invisalign, one company that applies 3D printing has a market cap of $50 billion today. Wow. wow. So you've got one company that is worth three or more times the entire market cap of the technology that they represent. Yeah. So that tells you two things, right? It tells you, one, that there's a big value to customization in orthodontics. Mm-hmm. The second thing it tells you, and I love telling my investors this, is that the money is not in the 3D printing platform technology. It's in what you're going to do with it. Hmm. How are you going to help people with it? Elaborate on that. Yeah. So... There are a ton of incredible 3D print technologies out there, whether they're in the software, materials, or in the hardware. But ultimately, we live in a world where we we value how you can help people. You don't help people by having a cool way to 3D print carbon fiber, for example. What are you going to do with that application? Are you going to build something in automotive? Are you going to build something in a, a jet engine? Are you going to do something that helps people in the orthopedic world? Or are you going to help build something that helps in dentistry or orthodontics? Mm. And ultimately, that's going to be determined by how much people value customization. People aren't going to value customizing this glass that we have our Manhattans in, Chris. There's a value to 3D printing, something that we use to move teeth. And the reason why is because teeth are very
0: unique. It is true. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Alfred, I'm going to transition here. So the COVID-19 pandemic was... Devastating on, on many fronts, right? From a public health perspective, from an economic crisis. Retrospectively, light forces in some ways done quite well through the pandemic, right? Looking back at your explosive growth, I think a lot of it came from the AEO and the virtual event Kyle Fagula's TDO event. Totally. I don't know if it was doctors having a little more time to learn more about the technology. I don't know if it was more about being more efficient with treatment and less office visits. But what would you attribute Light Force's explosive growth to? Well, that's a great question. I think what happened was
1: in the world of COVID, people valued efficiency more than they ever had before. Mm-hmm. It was also an inflection point for orthodontists where they had to rethink their practice and their business and how they run it and what makes sense for patients who don't want to come into an office and open their mouth for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And so a lot of practices transitioned into digital orthodontics. Reason being the concepts of starting with the end in mind mass customization, knowing where you're going to put the teeth from day one. Orthodontists got scared because you may not see that patient for another six months. And that's what happened. Some of our best stories happened from COVID, honestly, where an orthodontist couldn't see their braces cases for six months, and they couldn't see their light force cases for six months, and they were stuck in third order night ties and came back looking great for the light force cases versus, you know, you're not sure what you're getting with the stock braces cases. We also transitioned to things like remote monitoring and many other technologies that helped orthodontists adapt
0: to this world. So I heard you guys saw eight times growth during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, we did. We did. It was a scary thing for us internally because there are two ways you go out of business as a startup. One is you don't have enough business. And the second way is you have too much business.
0: Growing too fast. Growing basically. too fast. It's yeah. like
1: that old UPS commercial where... You know, they get their first order, they're excited, their 10th case and their 100th case and they're like, you know, high fiving and then they get their
0: thousandth and the millionth and yeah. they're like, uh oh, we got to figure something out. So, I mean, people will say that's good problems to have, but those were growing pains, I think, right, for Life Force.
1: They were growing pains, absolutely. And, and we had to adapt yeah. to that incredible growth. One of the ways we adapted is we opened up an entity in Costa Rica. We hired a great general manager down there, a guy named Prospero Bruce. He managed the customer service division, 1,200 people for a line for 12 years. Wow. So we hired 60 people down there to help us fulfill what was at the time the bottleneck to our manufacturing, which was digital manufacturing, the orthodontic treatment planning. where We're designing the cases. And we pulled in the top people from the industry and brought in seasoned people who could plan really well. We've adapted to the scale and we've adapted to the growth. And more importantly, we've got infrastructure that will take us into the next few years now.
0: So we talked about the facility in Costa Rica. Let's talk about this facility in Boston proper. And you guys have a new headquarters, which is incredible, right? Because before this, you were sort of in a... Like a very small facility. Yeah, <laughs> now this is quite vast. It, it is vast.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's try with out a the, capital V. With a capital V. So uh, we have a facility today in Cambridge, yeah. Massachusetts. That's mm-hmm. where we started our first office. Part of that was a factory, and part of that was office space, mm-hmm. about five thousand square feet, and. COVID was really, in a perverse way, a blessing, actually, because Mm. we outgrew our manufacturing space very quickly after the AAO 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, on one hand, no one can come to the office, so marketing, sales, engineering, you guys need to work from home, just like a lot of businesses. What was different about us is that we were growing so fast that we needed that space for manufacturing. So now if you go to our office what used to be the office space and the conference rooms are now populated with 3D printers and furnaces and more industrial look than you would expect from an office.
0: Mm -hmm. So Alfred, I'm a new user to Lightforce, right? Tell me about the workflow.
1: Yes. So we designed the workflow to meet orthodontists where they are today. We wanted to minimize the disruption to their practice when someone's getting onboarded And basically say, if you've done aligners in your practice, you can do light force. Mm -hmm. One of the big challenges Invisalign dealt with when they were getting started is they introduced the concept of the digital workflow. Mm -hmm. People didn't have scanners back then. That's true. And so it was, what what do you mean? You're not going to get my aligners back for a month? Oh my gosh, I have to wait so long. (laughs) But there's value enough, and we realize now that that patients are willing to wait that long. And so the workflow is the exact same, where if you have a patient come in, And as the orthodontist, you decide this is a great aligner case, or this is a great bracket case, whatever, regardless of what technology you use, it's going to be a, I'll see you back in three to four weeks. We're going to schedule 30 to 45 minutes for your clear aligner attachments or your light force. Yeah. And then you're going to be off and going from there. And so today we have a dichotomy in our practices where we've got this analog workflow, we've got this digital workflow Mm -hmm. and the two don't really sync well. And so that's what our goal was, was to really provide an opportunity to unite that
0: workflow in an orthodontist office today where everything can be digital. Yeah. So, I mean, to get more specific new patient comes in, right? They want to start in my practice. If I want to do a same day start, I'm putting those braces on. Right. Mm -hmm. But I will say, and this is controversial, but I think my finishes digitally are much better. Like I can bed wire, right? Mm -hmm. I can refine clench X, but my finishes are way better digital. I don't know if you agree with this. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: such a controversial statement. I absolutely agree with that. And the reason why is because we can do such a better job looking at teeth on a computer screen where we can analyze the contacts, we can analyze the bolt and we can analyze the IPR and see how that puzzle really is going to come together. Right. And we can't do that well with a a mirror and an explorer, um, just looking at the teeth. Or practically upside down, right? Or or, uh, or upside down. Yeah. So that's really where I think orthodontics is going, where everything should be digital because we have more ways of helping the patient, more ways of getting the patient a better result, a more efficient workflow for us in the practice where we start Mm -hmm. with the end in mind. and. And minimize things like routing tripping to get to where we think the best result is for that patient.
0: So, yes, there might be a delay in getting the braces, aligners, lingual braces, what have you. But ultimately, will it be more efficient? Will we have a better end result? Right? That's the question.
1: Yeah, it's actually not that complicated of a uh, value proposition. I've never had a patient, when I explain to them that this is made for you to get you to one result uh, for your son or daughter or you, no one's ever said, I'm not willing to wait a month for that. Yeah. Everyone has always said, yeah, absolutely, let's do this. And the same is true for my liner cases. Yeah. A lot of our users are big Invisalign users and speakers in, in many cases. And you know, I said, if you're going to look at your Invisalign slide deck, about 90% of the value prop is going to be the exact same.
0: Hmm. So obviously Lightforce right now has a clear white aesthetic bracket. What makes it different from your standard clarity bracket or clear bracket in general?
1: Well, what makes it different is that it's customized. You're going to have a custom prescription. You're also going to be able to indirect bond it. And what you're going to be able to do as an orthodontist is work at the top of your credentials, Hmm. where your value is not in installing hardware. Your value is in diagnosis and treatment planning. I feel like we both speak with and are mentored by Dr. Sarver. His advice to me is that the value of an orthodontist is not in the tool we use. It's in knowing where the teeth should go. And what that really boils down to is diagnosis and treatment planning.
0: Mm-hmm. What's pretty cool about Lightforce is you have a choice, right? In terms of what slot size you want to use. Yeah. And, and actually your wire sequence is not dictated, I think, by Lightforce.
1: At our core, we mm-hmm. want to enable that orthodontist philosophy. That means if you're an 018 doctor, use that. If you're an 0222, right. you can use that. And, and then an 020 exists as well. Or if you're bidimensional, use any combination thereof. Yeah we're not going to be prescriptive on how you treat we're going to elevate your philosophy on how you treat so give you all the tools to empower you to do the best job you can with your philosophy
0: love it so it's taken companies many years to develop different slot sizes and variations in their brackets but how have you guys innovated so quickly yeah so really what it comes down to is how we're manufacturing these brackets
1: Mm -hmm. so because we're 3d printing 3D printing is really driven by digital manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So you have hardware changes now moving at the pace of software innovation.
0: Interesting.
1: I'll give you an example of that. Um, yeah. We had a doctor a while back asked for hooks on the upper twos. I've never had hooks that's on not, the Yeah, that's yeah. not common. No, it's not common. But but the doctor's logic made sense. He said, mm-hmm. I want a more horizontal vector on my class two elastics. And I said, oh, okay, let's see how that goes. So two weeks later our software engineering team is able to design hooks on the upper twos and he's got that those hooks on the upper twos for a case. And that's because of the nature of what we're doing. We're 3D printing. We're using digital manufacturing. In the world, traditional world of bracket manufacturing, what that would mean is a year of mold design And then injection molding that at scale. Yeah. And so due to the, the nature of the technology we're working with, we're able to innovate
0: faster than existing companies. Which is so cool. And for our listeners, I've started using Lightforce myself. And I think for me, just in terms of a clinical perspective, the thing I like the most is I've been able to offset brackets. So with the initial wire, we can sort of tie in brackets that normally those teeth would have been blocked out and I would have placed an open coil spring. But we can totally offset them and begin, you know, with the initial wire. So, to me, that's super cool. This technology is
1: capable of redefining how we think of biomechanics. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for the journey. I'm excited to see where this goes. Today, we have a twin bracket that may look completely different in 10
0: years. Interesting. I've heard from different people. A knock against light force is the bracket's too opaque, too white, and maybe... It's different than their typical clear brace. What would be your response to that? My response is that it's
1: different. That doesn't okay. mean it's it's the wrong shade. So what I would encourage doctors out there to do is to show a typodont to a patient and let them decide. If the patient wants it, let them have it. And yeah. what we've found, actually, funny enough, is <laughs> patients under a certain age, under 15, actually prefer the white brackets to translucent or to metal.
0: Is that right? Why is that?
1: Well, two reasons. One is they've said it makes the colors pop more. Mm, All right. Something that I kind of thought might happen. The second thing I didn't expect happened. They said, oh, it's the same color as my AirPods. And I was like, okay, all right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love AirPods.
1: So there you go. The white has been actually a positive with that teen and adolescent group, which is really what we think is our core vertical. We have plenty of adults in treatment all the way up to age 84. And it's going very well. But you always ask yourself, what is the best appliance for the patient? And then as a clinician, make your decision based on that. And the third thing is that we're finding that this is a way for orthodontists to build their brand. It's wild. Like a lot of orthodontists have come back to a saying that patients come asking for the white brackets, whether it's one person on the Travis Locker team has it or someone from school wants the white brackets. and, And patients come in asking for that. We didn't expect that. We thought it'd be a bigger speed bump than it has been, but it's actually turned out to be positive for a certain demographic.
0: You must be sort of humbled and honored to have certain people using your bracket system, right? Talk to me about some of your like favorite users of Lightforce.
1: <laughs> there are no favorites, but I would say um, this product has taken a life of its own. It is definitely no longer uh, my product. It is no longer Lightforce's product. It is the product of our users. Mm. And as you mentioned, it's very humbling and exciting to work with some incredible orthodontists across the world. Um, To name a few, Masmushiri, Alex Waldman, those guys have pushed us into the digital world and and pushed us to match the workflow in their practices, which is largely aligners today. Guys like David Sarver have pushed us towards the aesthetic value of what we can provide. Mm. You know, he was one of the pioneers saying that occlusion is not the only thing that matters. It's also aesthetics, right? Micro, macro, all that stuff. He's got an incredible course uh, and textbook. And that's something that we really believe that we've is we can
0: deliver the ideal vertical position and torque for Smile arc. You know, I'm going to ask you the hard questions and I'm going to get you to tease some new technology. So come on, what's in the roadmap? Um, Reveal your secrets. Reveal my
1: secrets. Um, What can I say? One of the things we found is that our users love using Lightforce to optimize the smile arc. Hmm. That's something that's become very top of mind today, especially with, you know, you've got direct-to-consumer aligners out there. And what orthodontists deliver is a higher level of quality. You're not just straightening the front teeth, but you're also optimizing the function and the aesthetics. Right. And with Lightforce, you can optimize both the vertical position and the torque of teeth. Hmm. and so we've doubled down on that. We believe that there is a lot of value in optimizing the smile arc, and we believe we have the best tool at delivering a smile arc. To decide where to put those teeth, we want to also build the best diagnostic tool for determining where a smile arc should be. So you're going to see a technology coming out. We're calling it FaceMap, and it's going to basically superimpose a face on top of your light plan. Hmm. So you can turn that on and off and see where your teeth lie relative to lips in a smiling position. I remember interviewing at residencies, I don't know if you remember this as well, but you see a lot of these residencies have 3D photometry machines.
0: Where it scans the face, right? Yeah,
1: where it scans the face. Yeah. These big like
0: spider we had that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you had one. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So these big spider web looking things where you've got cameras at different angles and they capture the face. Mm-hmm. Well what's funny now is you can actually get that from the front-facing camera of an iPhone. Which is crazy, right? Which is crazy. Shawn Carlson talks about this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to be the first company to actually introduce that technology into the orthodontic space where you can actually capture the face on top of your treatment plan. We learned what technology would work, and we learned what we need to put together to be successful in this marketplace, and whether we should work with bigger companies, whether we should partner with software companies. Mm-hmm. Should we build it ourselves? Is it time to introduce new software architecture into this space where where we're on the cloud? Mm. So we looked around. We met a lot of people and determined that it makes way more sense for us to build this than to borrow technology that exists. And we 3D printed with many different materials, many different things. And what we realized is that we found ideal technology. We decided we need to build the software application ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we're in the best city in the world to do that as we talked about, and we bonded our first patient in 2017. That was a little bit nerve-wracking. It was funny. It was actually the program director for the incubator we were in, Mass Challenge. They always talk about supporting startups, like, personally, and this guy took it to the next level. Mm. I'm still close friends with him. But we treated his case in six months with four appointments, and we got into a rectangular wire early, and it was a class Mm. one case. But it proved the principle, is that... If you start with the end in mind, you can get there very efficiently. And the braces were way too; they are about twice the size that they are today. The software was way less mature than we than it is today as well. But it set the precedent for where we were going, and it yeah. gave us proof of concept that we had was real, mm-hmm. and that it was scalable, and that it could help a lot of people. The last two years were about bringing this to the market and yeah. in different stages and working with the right people working with people that are what I would call innovators, many of whom you're probably going to have on this podcast mm-hmm. and people who are going to give us feedback yeah. and make the product better. And that's what the last two years have been about. And, and a lot of orthodontists I would point to and say, we wouldn't be here if it were not for them being involved so early. Yeah. So cool. Chris, you asked the question earlier about workflow. So yeah. I, let me, let me turn the tables on
0: you. What was your experience with LightForce? So I'll be very honest with my listeners. I'm a new LightForce user. And, you know, I had a great experience in terms of workflow, right? Scan the patient, light plan, set up the indirect bonding. So very simple, but what I like most about Lightforce right now is just the customer service because customer service is not easy when you have a brand new company, right? And I feel like your sales reps have been on it, your customer service reps have been on. Anytime I've run into an issue, like for example, I had to rebond a bracket and my IDB tray it broke during the process, you guys are like, No problem, we'll send a new one right away. Expedite it. I mean, that was incredible. So, you know, People take customer service for granted, but for a startup company, like to have all your stuff together, that's not easy. So, I think kudos
1: to Lightforce for that. I'd say at this stage of the company, we're optimizing for the user experience. Our mm-hmm. our theme for 2021 is being customer obsessed and learning as much as we can from customers yeah. and helping them succeed in their business because they run businesses as well. Right. And we want to be thought of as a partner more than more than a company. Uh, we want to be in their corner.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you like the show, please take a second to click subscribe. Also, I'd really appreciate if you could share this show with your friends. Until next time, this is Chris Setta signing off.